Thank you, Meredith. I want to start my message this morning uh, by reading a passage from Scripture from the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 10. See, I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do this in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all people, who will hear, hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God whenever we call on him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I am setting before you today? Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently, so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen, and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life. But make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Assemble the people, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on earth, and that they may teach their children. So again, we see right there the precedent for Father's Day in our first passage of the, the morning, Deuteronomy chapter 4. We've been going through this sermon series called The One New Man. The goal of this sermon series is to clarify that the new man, the one new body language found in Scripture, is actually referring to the hope of the forefathers of Israel. And this reality for us today is known as the new covenant. You see, new body, new covenant, new man, all talking about the same thing, the glorious reality that would be brought through Jesus Christ, the new covenant which we celebrated, or we celebrate every first Sunday of the month through the Lord's table. And hopefully you celebrate in your own life each and every day. My goal this morning is to not only clarify what the hope of the fathers was, further clarify what the hope of the fathers was, also I want to highlight what that hope means for fatherhood today. Ancient Israel was a patriarchal community, which that means they were led by the fathers of their community, rather than being matriarchal and led by mothers. It is fathers who were given the responsibility to teach and to rightly guide the community to listen to the Lord. In listening to the Lord, the community would be blessed, as we just read in that passage, not only to find favor with God in a spiritual sense, but also they would be abundantly blessed with surpassing peace, surpassing joy, surpassing rest, produce, and not having to worry with fighting with their neighbors constantly. Something that was important in their day and time. However, I believe that truth speaks to us today. We don't want to be at war. We want to eat the fruit of our own land, we, we would do well to heed that same command that was given to the fathers of Israel today, to learn how to teach our children the precepts of God. Privilege and blessings come with responsibility. We should all know that. If the fathers did not walk worthy of the call to rightly teach and guide their community, then trouble would come. God's judgment by way of invading forces by the na- from the nations around them, their fields would not produce the harvest, poverty would be their, their society would be taken by force of poverty. The children would walk in disobedience. The wives would grumble against their children, or against their husbands. And the fathers would grumble against their children. The children would grumble against their parents. Sound familiar? I imagine so. I'll tell you, if you are, bur- if you are not burdened by the events of last Sunday, you should be, but if you are burdened by the events of last Sunday, what happened in Orlando, Florida, then you know we are in desperate need of fathers who will walk worthy in our land, fathers that will teach, rightly judge the situations that are happening in our land. 
we surely have a problem in our land. Thinking on these things, thinking of uh, last week and all that we, you know, that happened in Orlando, and then remembering the glorious things that happened here, right here in our own church. We had Pastor Steve uh, uh, dedicate, I was going to say baptize, um, Pastor Steve dedicate his grandson, Thomas, and Thomas's parents, Thomas's grandparents, Thomas's great-grandparents were all here to dedicate Thomas that he would be raised in the Lord in order that he, as well as our nation, if he walks worthy of that call, right, that's the goal, raise him up so that we can look, and we were talking about millennials this morning, we want to talk about the next generation. So we, we take Thomas, we dedicate him, and we say, there's hope for another generation. Let's raise him up in the Lord. We also did that, that he would experience the blessings of knowing Jesus Christ in his life. I love the concept of baby dedication. I really do. To sum up the concept, through baby dedication, we are reminding the parents of their responsibility to raise up their child in the Lord, basically to heed the verses that I mentioned this morning from Deuteronomy chapter 4, and as well as the ever-famous proverb, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. The hope of the fathers was to live in this reality, to enjoy their own land, to enjoy the fruit, to not be at war with their neighboring people, to have rest, to have joy, to have peace, you know, to be able to to, to declare, this is the day that the Lord has made. I shall rejoice and be glad in it. That's what they longed for. That's what they wanted. However, when we read our Bible, and those of us that do read our Bible, we've come to understand the narrative that ancient Israel did not walk worthy of that call. They did not raise up fathers that would teach their children generation after generation. Something went horribly wrong in the historic story of Israel. Spend some time reading through Joshua, Judges, as well as Kings to read the historical details of how Israel walked in opposition of what fatherhood truly is. What we read about is instead of dedicating their children to God as we saw here last weekend... We have the forefathers of Israel offering their children by fire to Molech and Baals. That's what we get instead. They don't dedicate their children to God. They dedicate their children by burning them in fire, giving them over to these false gods, hoping that these false gods might do something to change the current crisis in their land. And you could read through those books and you could see what they reaped as a result. It doesn't look too different than what we're reaping here in America today. Dare I say we have an idolatry problem in America? The prophets lament, all throughout your Old Testament, the prophets lament the fact that the fathers did not value fatherhood. What they say is the fathers eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. You could read about that in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 15, Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 1 through 3, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 29, as well as Jeremiah's lamentation, Lamentations chapter 5, verse 7. A modern way of saying that would be the present generation is punished for the offenses committed by the forefathers. The forefathers did not pass down the word of the Lord as they were told to. I imagine some of us feel the burden of that statement. I imagine we should. We seemingly see the truth in our land today. Did they listen to the prophets? Did Old Covenant Israel listen to the prophets? No. Does it seem that men in our day and age are listening to the prophets? They're not even reading them, to be quite honest with you. Most people don't even know what the gospel is. And if you hear it, it's a very empty gospel, something that is hardly what the Apostle Paul or Jesus himself would have preached. 
We seemingly see the same truth in our land today, disobedience. They ran them out and killed them. That's what they did to the prophets. They ran them out and killed them. Pretty much the same thing modern fathers desire to do when they're confronted and held accountable with what we see in our current generation. They want to drive them out and kill them. Get them out of here. We do not want to be held accountable for what we see today. Even the church, who's supposed to be the father of this world, where we are one with the father, amen? We are supposed to exemplify the image of our father to this world. Even the church runs in confusion, doesn't even know the gospel of the father, doesn't even know the father half the time. And then the church doesn't want to be held accountable or responsible for what we see in this generation, right? We don't want to be held accountable to that. That mess is our, our job to fix. That mess means we did something wrong. No, I'd rather drive them out and kill them. Get rid of those prophets. Please allow me to qualify my use of the term father this morning. Someone who first thinks or does something, a person who begins something, okay? That's a father. A pro, the, the word I'm using as a father to qualify father would be a progenitor, somebody that would pass on something, somebody that would be the beginning of something. Adam was the progenitor of the Israel race. He was the beginning father of their race. That's why they were defined by sin and death. Adam. Remember Adam? And then their goal was, remember Adam before he did that? That's what Israel would have wanted. Remember what Adam had with God before sin and death? That's what we want. That's what Abraham wanted. That's why when we read this morning in our devotion, that when Abraham saw Jesus Christ and heard that gospel of Jesus Christ, that he rejoiced because he had saw the day of the Lord. You see, Abraham knew that what Adam had prior to sin was summed up in Jesus Christ. That's our gospel. That's the one new man. That's the new covenant. Where sin and death abounded, grace will abound all the more. Another way I would describe Father is something that is a model for something else. Something that begins to develop something else. Something that mentors something else. And then obviously we know biologically a father is one that brings children into this world. So fatherhood, which we are celebrating today, is the celebration of those who had laid the ground for us and who we have the responsibility of following. Biologically, and fathers by adoption, are the natural representation of what the church is called to be in the world today. That's a hard command on fathers, isn't it? You, you fathers today are an example of what the church is called to walk worthy of, if indeed you walk worthy of your calling. So it's almost the, the natural fathers in our world are called to be the image of what the church should be learning from. We should be able to look at the fathers of our society and say, that's what we need to be. Sounds like a scary place to begin, doesn't it? If we just start pointing at every father in our culture today, let's just start pointing to them and saying, that's what we should be. I don't know if that's a good idea. No. Quite the responsibility for a father in our world. What we are hoping for is no different than what was hoped for in ancient Israel. Cal Walter Rauschenbusch, quite the name. I'm going to clarify who he is at the end of today's message. But Walter Rauschenbusch says it like this. History is never antiquated because humanity is always fundamentally the same. It's always hungry for bread. Anybody hungry this morning? You're right. You're always hungry. We're always sweaty with labor, always at work, always doing what we have to do to get things done, always struggling for rest from nature, from the, the hostile people around us. And we're always doing this with the intent to feed our children. Right? We just want to feed our children and work hard for our families, and yet it puts us at odds with so many people. Another thing, humanity is defined by being at odds with the selfish will of the strong. 
I know that speaks to somebody in our generation today, that we're always at odds with those, the strong, that are seeking to say, I want much for my children, and I don't care about I don't want anybody else to have anything. Just selfishness drives our society. No different than ancient Israel. Sadly, today, many are pushing aside and, dare I say, killing the prophets who are seeking to speak the reality of a revolution within Christianity. The prophets, who many have said were the beating heart of the old covenant, spoke mysteriously about the kingdom of God, the new heavens, the new earth, the resurrection from sin and death, the day when people would no longer say the father's teeth are set, uh, the father's teeth, the father had, fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. They longed for that day when that would be fulfilled. Walter Rauschenbusch also says, a comprehension of the essential purpose and spirit of the prophets is necessary for a comprehension of the purpose and spirit of Jesus Christ and genuine Christianity. So now again, if we don't know the prophets, can we know the gospel? No. If we're killing the prophets and driving them out, can we understand the gospel? No. No way. Would you believe that my understanding of Jesus Christ fulfilling all that the prophets desired has put me out of what we call quote-unquote orthodox Christianity? As we have been going through this One New Man sermon series, it has been my goal and heart to help you see that every biblical passage that speaks of a one new body or a one new man or the resurrection of the body is speaking about the corporate reality that we now have in Jesus Christ. That's the resurrection. To be resurrected from the children being at odds with their fathers and their fathers being at odds with them. Their fathers misleading a generation. And the only way that that was going to be fixed was by the father doing something, and he did. Jesus. You see, that was the problem. The problem was that the fathers weren't instructing their children. Their children were following whatever the fathers were doing, offering their children over to Molech, worshiping pagan gods, and there was a problem in their society. So what did the father do? He reached in, he sent his son, he said, I'm going to send my son as the example, the standard by which my people will come to me, the standard by which my people will be defined. And that will help the fathers get it right, the natural fathers. Because if they look to Jesus, they'll have an example of what they need to follow, and then my people will be able to follow the natural example that's done by the fathers in society. And it, that's how it's supposed to work. This is a, we are a body. We're all supposed to work on building on each other, learning from one another. I'll tell you, if we don't have a healthy understanding of fatherhood, the church is not going to be walking healthy in, in, in their, their calling either. The prophets of the Old Covenant watched and cried out as the fathers of their generation reaped curses upon themselves and the generations that would follow. Again, read through Hosea. Read about what Hosea is saying about the northern tribes that went over to idolatry. They started to look more like the Assyrians than they did like the book of Deuteronomy. And that became a problem. And then, sure enough, you read from 722 B.C., pretty much up to the time of Jesus, you have people just generation after generation following their fathers, saying, well, you know, that's what my father did. My father worshipped Moloch. My father worshipped Baal. My father went to the Catholic Church, to bring it into a modern image here, right? You know, my, my father did this. And then we just follow our fathers. So now fathers is a, a term of influence. We, we need to recognize that fatherhood is influence in our culture. The fathers found more comfort in false religion, trying to cover up their misdeeds without actually restoring their minds and hearts to their responsibility. That's why sacrifice began. You see, it's not about me being right with God and actually worshiping God. What I could do is, if I'm wrong, I'm just going to go and do this sacrifice and fix it. 
You see, rather than, no, 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 that's not what God wanted. God wants the heart and mind of man. He doesn't want you to make up a way that you could fix your, your idolatry. No, and that's why Hosea 6.6 6 says, for burnt, well, sacrifice and burnt offerings I did not desire. That's not what God wanted from his people. He didn't want you to be making recompense for your mistakes. He wanted you to walk according to the law. Sadly, today, even Christianity has become a, a band-aid for boo-boos rather than, no, let's lead the way. Let's show the world the way they're supposed to live. That's fatherhood. That's what fatherhood is. Let me show them that. Let me tell my children, you know, a popular slogan in our, for our, our society is, uh, do as I say, not as I do. Well, that's a problem. That's actually what the forefathers of ancient Israel would have said. Do as I say, not as I do. I tell you to worship the one true God. Here I go worshiping Baal. No. And that's why we see the story that we see in our Bible. Because the fathers did not walk worthy of their call. You might say they were deceived by the snake. That's pretty much the biblical image. The fathers were deceived by the snake. God said, do this. The snake comes and says, well, you could kind of do it this way. You, know, you, could, you could worship Molech and do all those bad things. You could not lead your generation to find prosperity and grace in God. Just keep offering sacrifices. Keep offering the burnt offerings because that's what God wanted, right? And if you think that, that's, you don't know your Bible. He didn't want sacrifices and burnt offerings as a recompense. He wanted you to walk worthy. Walk worthy. You won't need to keep doing this. Have a mind for me, a heart for me, and then you'll be my people. The prophets cry out again and again, reminding the fathers that they did not desire sacrifice and burnt offerings. No, outward religion would not make up for the devastation they had brought upon themselves and the generations that would follow them. That would not work. I want to take us to a couple of the prophets this morning. Micah, one of the earlier prophets, he says this. In talking about what God would require of man, he says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Not burnt sacrifices and offerings and all these things you keep mustering up. No. Again, I'm going to repeat it. He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. But real quickly, I just want to explain that. To do, to do justice means to rightly look at the situations in our world and be able to offer the true knowledge. What that situation truly is. Again, the, we're reading through Judges at the Bible study on Thursday night. What was the problem with the judges? They did not judge rightly. Samson was supposed to know what he was supposed to do. Deborah was supposed to know what she was supposed to do. All these people were supposed to know their call and their walk. However, they didn't look at the situations rightly and decided they were going to do it their own way. Like Eve, deceived by the snake. And that's pretty much what led Jewish culture, was judges not judging rightly. You see, I know in our culture today, we say, you shall not judge. That's a big thing I hear people say. You shall not judge. No, you shall not judge wrongly. You see, we need judge. If nobody's judging, that's probably what the problem with our culture is. Again, do I need to highlight that for the fathers? We need fathers to judge the situation rightly. That's what we need. We, we, there's no not judging. It's, it's judging things with a proper scale, a proper measurement. Jesus says, by how you judge, you will be judged. So, again, we need judgment. Kindness. Hopefully I don't have to qualify what kindness is for everybody here today. And to walk humbly with your God. Be broken. Recognize that we're not going to be perfect. And if you think you're perfect, maybe you need to spend more time in prayer and ask God to remind you. Or live a day and you'll, you'll figure it out. Um, you know, again, it's, we're supposed to be humble. We're supposed to be broken before God. He desires a broken and contrite spirit. He wants a broken people that will say, it's not me that's perfect, it's him that's perfect. It's not me that's doing the things that get me the straight way to heaven. It's him that gets me the straight ways to heaven. Amen?
So I just want to read one more from Isaiah. Again, now you have Isaiah's prophesying almost 300 years later. And let's see what he has to say. Isaiah chapter 1, I'm just going to read two verses, 15 and 16. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though your prayers may multiply, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from my sight, cease to do evil, Let learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. We'll read it one more time, verses 15 through 16. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. It doesn't sound like God's very happy about 300 years later. Even if you multiply your prayers, I will not listen. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil from my sight, cease to do evil, learn to do good. Here you go. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rightly judge the situation. Reprove the ruthless. And trust me, we have plenty of them. So we've got a lot of reproving to do. Defend the orphan. Again, we have a lot of them. We have a lot of defending to do. Plead for the widow. I think it goes the same. We have a lot of work to do. You see, that's how... We find God moving in our situation. Our nation cries constantly about how God's not moving, God's not doing anything. Are you reading the same passages as I am? We need fathers to lead and walk worthy of the things that we're called to do. And then we'll see God move in our land. God, I I have no problem with God telling us right now, no, I will not hear your prayer because you're not walking worthy. You're not even seeking me the way that you're called to seek me. Glad to say that here at our church, we know that God does hear our prayers. Amen? So, What we have covered, and we'll cover a bit more, is that the gospel being preached by Jesus and the apostles is that it's in and through Jesus Christ. The hope of Israel is found, the dead are raised, which rather than an obsession with this seeming zombie apocalypse that's going to happen at the end of the world and all that strange stuff, we know that resurrection of the dead simply means a new and living way for us to enter into the presence of God. Because the other way was dead. The other way, if you look, go go try to get to the temple and find the presence of God. Tell me how you, how you end up. You're going to look at a bunch of rocks and, he, you know, a heap of rocks and a wall. That's, a, that's pretty much where that, that's going to get you is a wall, a wall of prayer. I am not hearing your prayers. Broken. The new and living way that has been opened up, the resurrection of the dead, is that now through the body of Christ, through Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to enter into the presence of God. That's a gospel. As we've discussed, the Apostle Paul says again and again that he preached nothing other than what was revealed in the Law and the Prophets. Walter Rauschenberg notes that our philosophical and economical individualism has affected our religious thoughts so deeply that we hardly comprehend the prophetic views of an organic national life, national sin, and salvation. There's the problem. We've become such an individual people that we don't even understand how my individual life affects the corporate reality of God's people. We've completely missed the corporate understanding of the gospel, and it's become just about me. If you want to know how the the church as a father is leading a generation, we've made it completely about us. Completely about us. Selfishness at all costs. In understanding the prophets in their proper context, we see them speaking of what we would call organic totalities, right? They're talking about a whole group of people. You know, when we read that word body, you Gentiles are in a body. Yeah, you're in a corporate body. You Jews are in a corporate body. Us Christians are in a corporate body. That's the reality that the prophets are talking about. Corporate stuff, organic totalities, not individuals. I have mentioned a man named Walter Rauschenberg a couple times in this message. 
Dare I say that he is a father that speaks to us from the early 1900s through his famous writing, Christianity and the Social Crisis in the 21st Century. In his time, he remarked that Western civilization is passing through a social revolution unparalleled in history for scope and power. Its coming is inevitable, and I believe he's right on. I believe we're experiencing that in our day and age. In summing up the details of our message this morning, we need to see the importance and influence of fathers. We really do. Just as the fathers are called to influence a generation, either in a positive or negative way, the lack of fathers or the lack of clarity on what fathers are called to do will also lead a generation in a negative or positive way. And we're experiencing that. Prayerfully, in coming to a Christian church this morning, you are clear and know the gospel of Jesus Christ. That dying to ourselves, we come alive in and through Jesus Christ. That my identity in and of myself Whatever I choose to identify myself with outside of this identity in the body of Christ will not lead to salvation, will never give me the peace, the joy, the happiness that I desire. And it will not lead to peace. It will not, will not lead to peace if we focus on individual identities and my identity outside of Christ, whether it's race, creed, religion, sexual identity. None of that will give us salvation. There's only one identity that matters, and it's our identity here in the body of Christ. That's the identity that we will find the love, the peace, the joy that we all long for. Again, it's what the ancients hoped for. It's nothing different. Humanity is always the same. This is our bodily identification, Christian. This is where that peace is found. This is what all the biblical forefathers hoped for. Walter Rauschenberg also made the following statement. The essential purpose of Christianity was to transform human society into the kingdom of God by regenerating all human relations and reconstituting them in accordance with the will of God. And how did he do that? Through the body of Christ. Here. That's how he did it. He changed the whole world by saying, this is what you must focus on, and created the body of Christ, Jesus. What does it say in Hebrews? Let us fix our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith. I like that, finisher of our faith. Amen? The forefathers of Old Covenant Israel were called to be an example, however they failed. However, in and through Jesus Christ, we prevail. We can show the world the image of God and the love of God and the knowledge of God by simply raising the standard of Jesus Christ. Not ourselves, but the standard of Jesus Christ. In closing remarks, I want to share a couple quotes from a church father which highlight the importance of gathering as his body and being informed of our responsibility Dare we call our church responsibility fathering a generation. Ignatius of Antioch was a second century bishop of whom it was said that he was the little child who was placed in the midst of the disciples in Matthew chapter 18. They say that was Ignatius and church history, church tradition says that. Ignatius, as he was being led to the martyrdom for his faith, wrote seven letters to different churches that he had come to know. Some of the ones that we're familiar with, Ephesus, Philippi, um, and a couple others that we're not so familiar with, Magnesia, um, you know, those aren't places that we really read about. So either way, as uh, Ignatius was being led to his martyrdom, he had written these letters, and I want you to find the power in what he said. This is the second century, so it's one generation after what we're reading about in our Bible. He says this, Try to gather together more frequently to celebrate the Lord's table, and praise him. For when you meet with frequency, the enemy's powers are overthrown and his destructiveness is undone by the unanimity, unanimity, I said it right this morning, unanimity of your faith. There's nothing better than peace by which all strife in heaven and on earth, it doesn't say that actually, it says in heaven and earth, interesting difference there, Um, all strife in heaven and earth is done away. 
You will not overlook any of this if you have a thorough belief in Jesus Christ and love him. That is the beginning and the end of life. Faith, the beginning. Love, the end. And when the two are united, you have God. And everything else that has to do with real goodness is dependent upon them. That seems to be a principle that could speak to us. I have only touched on the plan in reference to, you ready? The new man, Jesus Christ. Second century church father. And I'm the heretic. Um, I have only touched on the plan in reference to the new man, Jesus Christ, and how it involves believing in him and loving him and entails his passion and resurrection. Break one loaf. Again, be in unity. Break one loaf, which is the medicine of immorality and the antidote which wars off, wars off death but yields continue life, continuous life in Jesus Christ. So that's the plan. Be here. Be present. Be in Christ. And thus, by his resurrection... He raised a standard to rally his saints and faithful forever, whether Jews or Gentiles, in one body, his church. And last, we are not called to be Christians. We are not only to be called Christians, but we are to be Christians. Amen? Can I ask the fathers and those who are called to fatherhood to please stand this morning? Just a quick benediction, and then we'll be done. Each of you are called into the natural image of fatherhood, which the corporate church is called to learn from. We are only as strong as our weakest link. Therefore, it is important that each of you know full well and walk worthy of your calling. You have been given a blessing and a responsibility. Raise up your children in the way that they should go, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Do not provoke them to anger. Instruct them how to be a blessing to your family by value and honor. Let us work together in all your families and in our world to show that the Lord desires to be worshipped in spirit and in truth, which is exemplified through our lives, rightly judging all things, bringing forth justice and equality to all men, showing the kindness that has been shown to us through our Lord, and walking humbly with our God. Thank you, men, for your service in the kingdom. Join me in prayer this morning. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the, those that are called into the service of fatherhood this morning, Lord. I thank you and I pray that you will empower them and their families, Lord. Give them the spirit and the knowledge to rightly judge all situations, to be kind to those that we are called to be kind to, Lord. That is all men around us, as well as to walk humbly with you. Lord, give us the spirit to walk in that manner. Glorify yourself through these fathers. Glorify yourself through your church. And Lord, be ever glorified through your plan that you have given us, that we can die to ourselves and find life in you. Lord, we magnify your name this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.